following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. successful evangelist of the modern era. It's estimated that more than 250,000 people came to the Lord and were radically converted. Now, this man, preaching in the 1800s, had no radio, no television. He simply functioned under the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit. It was old-time religion. 
It wasn't this modern entertainment that has so corrupted our hearts in this 21st century. I hear people say, I don't want to go to that church because the preacher preaches too long. They'd have had a hard time with the Apostle Paul. He'd keep you preaching all night. There was a message to proclaim. There was a a transformation to take place in your soul. Many people will be in church this coming Sunday. We call many of them Easter lilies because they only show up on special occasions. But the purpose of God is to convert your soul, to transform your life, to change you, to make you into a new creature, to remove and destroy all the devil's work in your life. So today I'm going to share with you some some background on Charles Finney. Don't believe the lies that he was a heretic. He was not in any way a heretic. There are people who say he does not believe in the original sin. So he's a heretic. Well, he didn't speak in normal clergy lingo. He spoke as an attorney. His words were exact. They described as best he could the condition of a man's heart. And he did teach that a man was utterly bent toward evil, but he was capable of repenting. Now, some of the modern teachers who are so filled with anger and hate will teach that you cannot repent until you come and are saved. And after you're saved, then you have to repent. Of course, that's not what Jesus taught. He taught repent. The kingdom of God is coming near. Repentance is always in Scripture the first work. We like to put it off because it means dealing honestly with the condition of our soul. So please, let's pray as we begin. For this broadcast today is meant to bring your heart into alignment with the heart of Jesus. I know many of you have been upset by the messages I've been preaching for the last now three weeks. How do I know that? Well, I know that because there have been many less downloads from our podcast. I know that because the response has been very small. I know that because very few people have sent any tithes or offerings. I know that by what your response is on phone calls and text messages and emails. I'm very sensitive to where you are in the Spirit because I spend time praying for you. And the Holy Spirit tells me where you are. And he points me like a like a bird dog right on your trail. I want you to leave your sin I want you to be free in Jesus. That means you have to repent. Repent of your religiosity. Repent of your false beliefs in eternal security. 
It means you have to repent of godlessness and arrogance and hardness of heart and bitterness and anger and lust and cursing and cynicism. One of the greatest sins of our day is cynicism. And we have much to be cynical about when we look at the government and we look at our culture, but not when we look at Jesus. I want you to look to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I come today asking that you would do a work in the heart of every person who is listening to this broadcast. Lord, I'm asking for a deliverance today. I'm asking for a change of heart today. I'm asking that the captives would be set free, that the bondages would be broken by your Spirit. I'm praying for a miracle today. I'm believing for a miracle in the heart and life of each who is listening. Thank you, Jesus. I pray in your mighty and holy name. Amen. Well, soon after Charles Finney was converted, soon after he was filled gloriously by the Holy Spirit, he didn't even know there was such a thing as the Holy Spirit infilling a man or a woman. The Lord just surprised him with rolling power that, that just crushed him down, made him cry out with joy. Well, soon after all of this happened and he began to bear witness in the community about Jesus and he began to speak to people about the condition of their soul, he decided, yes, he was no longer going to be an attorney. He was going to preach the gospel. And so he went to see his pastor. And he had a long conversation with him because he needed someone to supervise his theological training as he prepared for preaching the gospel. Now, that's what he thought. That's not what he needed. He just needed more Holy Spirit power. But like many... He thought he had to go the academic route. So he went to his pastor and he had a long conversation with him about the theology of the atonement. Now, today I'm not going to get into that theology, but let me just say there are atonement theories. I call them theories because we can't prove. The great question is what happened when Jesus went to the cross? And there are some who falsely teach penal atonement. That is, that, that Jesus was beat up by God and that he became sin, literally. Luther said he became the worst sinner of the universe. Well, that's a total mistranslation of the scripture, and it's a, it's a lie. Jesus was the perfect Lamb of God. He never became sin for us. He bore our sin. He was a priestly sacrifice, an atoning sacrifice. So you have the theory of the priestly sacrifice. You also have Finney's theory of governmental atonement. We'll get into these these more in depth at a later time, but not today. His pastor was a, a Princeton graduate. 
So, of course, he held to the view of a limited atonement, that it was only for the elect. I received a text this morning from a dear brother asking me questions about the elect, about election. I'm going to answer him more in depth, and I'm going to deal with this in the coming weeks on this broadcast. But just a quick statement. It is not, in my understanding, individuals that are elected for salvation. It is the church that is elected for salvation. There's a huge difference there. But we'll talk more about that later. He says, our conversation lasted nearly half a day. He believed that Jesus suffered for the elect the literal penalty of the divine law and that he suffered just what was due to each of the elect on the score of of punishment. Now, I objected that this was absurd, for in that case he suffered the equivalent of endless misery multiplied by the whole number of the elect. But Mr. Gale insisted that it was true. Now, I was a mere child in theology, a novice in religion and biblical learning, but I thought Mr. Gale did not have biblical views, and I, I told him so. The only book I had read on the subject was my Bible, and all that I found there on the subject I had interpreted as I would have the same passage in a law book. I thought Mr. Gale had evidently interpreted scriptures to conform to an established theory of the atonement. He was alarmed at my being obstinate. I thought that the Bible clearly taught that the atonement was made for all men, while he limited it to just a part. I could not accept his view for I could not see that he fairly proved it from the Bible. His rules of interpretation did not meet my own. They were much less definite and intelligible than those to which I had been accustomed in my law studies. To my objections, he could make no satisfactory argument. I asked him if the Bible did not require all who hear the gospel to repent, believe the gospel, and be saved. He admitted that it did require all to believe and to be saved, but how could they believe and accept a salvation that was not provided for them? This discussion was often renewed, and it continued throughout my whole course of theological studies under Mr. Gale. I believe he had the strongest conviction that I was truly converted, but he felt the greatest desire to keep me within the strict lines of Princeton theology or Calvinistic theology. After this, we had frequent conversations, not only on the question of the atonement, but on many other theological questions. I'd never heard him preach on the subject of the atonement, I think he feared to present his views to the people. His church, I am certain, did not embrace his view of the limited atonement. So in the spring of that year, the older members of the church began to decline in their zeal for God. This greatly oppressed me, 
and most of the young converts. About this time, I read a newspaper article bearing the title, A Revival Revived. The grist of it was that a revival had taken place during the winter in a certain town, but in the spring it had declined. When earnest prayer was offered for the continued outpouring of the Spirit, the revival was powerfully revived. This article sent me into a flood of weeping. I was at that time boarding with Mr. Gale, and I took the article to him. The article made no such impression on him as it did on me. I was so overcome with a sense of God's divine goodness in hearing and answering prayer, and with an assurance that God would hear and answer prayer for the revival of his work in Adam's, that I went through the house weeping aloud like a child. Mr. Gale seemed surprised at my feelings and my expressed confidence that God would revive his work. At the next meeting of the young people, I proposed that we should all pray individually for the revival of God's work, that we should pray in our prayer closets at sunrise, at noon, and at sunset for one week until we would come together again and see what more was to be done. No other means were used for the revival of God's work but the spirit of prayer, and it was immediately poured out wonderfully. Before the week was out, I learned that some of them, when they would attempt to observe the season of prayer, would lose their strength and be unable to rise to their feet or even rise up on their knees in their prayer closets. I also learned that some would lie prostrate on the floor and pray with unutterable groanings for the outpouring of the Spirit of God. Indeed, the Spirit was poured out, and before the week ended, all the meetings were thronged. Now, please, I need to stop sharing this just for a moment. I've come with a special request to you who listen regularly to this radio broadcast. Would you, would you join me and would you join the National Prayer Chapel? This Sunday, I'll be asking them to do this. I'm asking you, will you do it with us? I'm asking that beginning on Monday morning, at sunrise, at noon, and at sunset, would you draw aside and would you pray for Pilgrim's Progress? Would you pray for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in revival power on Washington, D.C.? Now, I know some of you have a lot of resistance to what I've been teaching in the second work of grace. Let's not get lost on that. Let's just get to the cross. Would you join me? And would you join the National Prayer Chapel? For one week, at sunrise, at noon, and at sunset, 
would you pray for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Pilgrim's Progress Radio? And would you also pray for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at the National Prayer Chapel? I know as I share this that many of you need to be there, but you've made every excuse in the book. It's too far. I can't, I can't do that. I don't have time. Well, please, we have brothers and sisters who are driving from Hyattsville, Maryland, twice a week. We have people who are driving from Boonesboro up by Hagerstown to come to the service. We have people who drive from Frederick, Maryland to come to the service. We have people driving from Prince George's County, Fairfax. We have people coming from all over the Washington metro area. Why are they coming? Because they're so hungry for Jesus. So would you pray with us? Would you join us? And would you get in your prayer closet at sunrise, at noon, and at sunset? And would you pray for revival to be poured out on Pilgrim's Progress next week? For one week, let's pray. And would you pray for revival at the National Prayer Chapel? And if God has called you, would you come? I hear some of you say, oh, my wife thinks it's too far. Well, do you think your wife is going to save you? Well, she thinks it's too far, and, and, and she likes her church. Well, does she weep before God? Does she repent? Or does she like the entertainment? You have to be honest. What are you going to do with Jesus? Now, I come and do this broadcast because I I want a dramatic change in your life. I want you to be like Finney, weeping before God over the lack of Holy Spirit presence and power in the church today. I want you to weep like a child. I have a dear friend in my life. This friend is quite shocking because suddenly this friend will just burst out in tears and wail. And my first inclination was to, shh, you're okay. No, they're not okay. They're brokenhearted over the condition of the lost. They've been called to pray. Are you called to pray? Would you join us and unashamedly cry out to God, not not quietly? Would you do it out loud? When you pray silently, you get lost in your own prayer. You, you start talking to yourself. Would you cry out out loud? Would you pour out your heart to God? 
for revival in Washington, D.C.? I can tell you now it's not going to come by some wonderful, powerful preacher coming and giving some message. It's going to come as we pray in the prayer closet and cry out to God. He's the one who sends the Holy Spirit. It's not going to be some famous preacher. It's not going to be Pastor Ray. It's going to be Pastor Jesus. It's going to be Pastor Holy Spirit. It's going to be Pastor Father. That's who's going to bring revival. Will you pray? I'm almost wanting to ask you if you're willing to pray this next week as I'm asking to call the radio station and just tell them, Pastor Ray, count on me. If you want to do it, it'd be all right. I'd love to hear how many of you are willing to join us and pray. I'm going to give you the number. You don't go on air. Just call. Tell Brother Kevin. Tell Pastor Ray I'll pray three times a day for the next week for revival in Washington, D.C. Call 877-534-0780. Now, I can tell you that if you will call and give them your name, as I pray three times a day, I'm going to be praying for you by name, asking for the Holy Spirit to come and give you utterance for prayer. So, my producer doesn't know I'm doing this. I hope he's listening. Brother producer, are you listening? Yes, Pastor. You're there, Brother Kevin. Okay. Just call him. Don't come on air. Just call him and say, I'm going to join Pastor Ray in the National Prayer Chapel. I'm going to pray three times a day for the next week for revival in Washington, D.C. If you'll do that, call right now, 877-534-0780. And you will bring great joy to my heart. And I will report to the National Prayer Chapel on Sunday that you're praying. And I'll give them all your names so they can pray for you, too. Do you have Lynn on the line? She wants to speak to you. Are you uh, taking calls? Uh, no, I'm not taking calls, but yes, I will take Lynn's call. Okay. Oh, give me one second. Are you there, Lynn? Lynn is a precious believer who I've been praying for. Hi, Lynn. Welcome. Hi, Pastor Ray. Thank you for taking my call. I don't want to interrupt you because um, you're on a roll, but number one, I will pray. And then I wanted to tell you, you are wrong. You're just wrong. I, I wish I could see your expression. I'm actually teasing you. You are such a blessing. I wrote a check to you the other night, and you can praise the Lord that it took, because the memo part of the check, I'd written you a message and clearly illegible. You'd never have been able to read it. So I started a note to you about just to write out what I'd said in the little memo. Mm-hmm. It turned into a note page, two sides, 10 pages. So you can praise the Lord. I'm not going to send you that with the check. <laughs> but but you, you are a blessing. But you did send and me I- that letter. No, I did. I didn't. I didn't. I really didn't. I just because it ended up rambling and going on. But because you know, you know I, what I, I would have done with it, don't you? 
I would have taken it before the Lord and laid it out before Jesus and asked him to answer everything that you talked about. Well, but it's just what you're talking about, because things are getting worse. And I, you know, people don't see it. There's like this, this, we've turned like not a good corner or something. And people are becoming just odd. And they're praying weirdly and weird things are happening. Yes. And it's like, oh, dear God, please have mercy on us. Yes. Please have mercy on us and open people's eyes to the truth of what is around them. Yes. We need repentance. People need to get on their knees and seek the Lord and not be doing this weirdo stuff they're doing. Yes. (laughs) You're right. And we have to have the Holy Spirit. And and that's why I, with a smile, say the pastor spirit. And Pastor yes, Jesus. You're kind of Pastor Spirit, Pastor Ray. <laughs> Thank you, Lynn. God bless you're you. You're welcome. Thank you. God bless you. And I will um I will um recopy just a little one pager and I will get it in the mail to you and I love you a lot. Thank you. God bless you. And my I dear would sister. go to your church. I would. People folks I would drive that far. If I could go to a church, I would go. I but because of because of I, I rarely, rarely go out anymore. You have physical limitations. God wants me to be. You have physical limitations, and I'm asking Jesus to change that. He is. He is. He he takes care of all of it. It is what it is. And you know what? Who would have ever thought I'd be where I am today? Today. Yes. <laughs> but praise the Lord. Yes. <laughs> Yes. Thank you, Ray. Thank, Thank you, Pastor Ray. God bless you. Thank you. Have a wonderfully wonderful Resurrection Sunday. And you also. God bless you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you very much. God bless you too. You know, I, I, I have to tell you, I stood, I stood at that empty tomb, literally just a few weeks ago. I went into it by myself. It was. No one else was there. I just, people were coming after me, but I I got there in a hurry because I wanted to go in alone. I didn't want to have anybody in there with me. And I went into that tomb of Jesus. And over on the right-hand side, when you go into the tomb over on the right-hand side, is exactly where the scriptures say there's a ledge. And there was an angel sitting on that ledge when Jesus was resurrected. I looked for an angel, but he was gone. (laughs) And there was the flat stone where they lay the body to prepare it for burial. And then there was the carved out place in the rock where Jesus was placed. And the place just had a, a feel and a smell of death about it. I went in alone and stood there and tears flowed down my cheeks. And suddenly this incredible spirit of joy fell on me. And I began to shout, He's not here. He's risen. He's risen. And I want to tell you today, my Jesus does not lie in a tomb. He's risen. 
And he's in that throne room of God. He's in that tabernacle of God in the heavenlies. And he's directing the work of salvation for you and for me. He's dispatching angels to support us. He's sending the Holy Spirit. And we now need him to come and anoint us with Pentecost power to stand against the darkness of this day. And the darkness in in many of your hearts, the casualness, the, the hardness, we need the Holy Spirit, as Lynn said, to stop this foolishness. And I can tell you what I'm going to say this Sunday. Oh, I'll say much more than this, but I'm going to say this. I'm going to stand up and say, He is risen. I saw the tomb. It's empty. Jesus is not in that tomb. Is Jesus dead for you? Are you dead in your sins today? Or has Jesus risen in your life and in your heart? I'm asking you, please call and make a commitment to pray for the next week at sunrise, at noon, and at sunset. And if possible, have some people join you and pray for the coming, the power, the Pentecost of the Holy Spirit. It's the only way things are going to change in America. I want you to call and agree that you'll pray with me and just give your first name. And I'm going to share those on Sunday and we're going to pray for you. And I'm going to ask the National Prayer Chapel to pray for you every day for the next week as they pray for the Holy Spirit to come in Pentecost power. So please call. Uh, The producer is there, Brother Kevin. He's a precious brother in Jesus. Call him right now at 877-534-0780. Keep him busy answering that telephone. Will you pray? It was in the spring of 1822 that Charles Finney finally put himself under the care of the presbytery as a candidate for the gospel ministry. Some of the ministers urged me to go to Princeton, he writes, to study theology, but I declined, saying that my financial circumstances forbade it. This was true, but they said that they would see that all of my expenses were covered, but I still refused to go, and when I was urged to give them my reasons, I plainly told them I would not put myself under such an influence as they had been under. I was confident they had been wrongly educated And they were not ministers who met my ideal of a minister of Christ. I told them this reluctantly. But I could not honestly withhold it. So they appointed Mr. Gale to superintend my studies. He offered me the use of his theological library. 
My studies, so far as he was concerned, as my teacher, were little else than controversy. He clung to the old-school doctrine of original sin or that the human condition was so morally depraved it could not repent. He also believed that men were utterly unable to do anything that God required them to do and that God had condemned men for their sinful nature, for which they deserved eternal death. And by the way, I don't believe that. I believe that every man will be judged for his own sin not for Adam's sin. Well, there were much there were much that he disagreed with theologically. He could not agree with these Princeton taught Calvinists, but he didn't know where else to go. So he used to insist that if I tried to reason on a subject I'd end up an infidel. He would remind me that some of the Students who'd been at Princeton had gone away as infidels because they would try to reason on the subject and would not accept the confession of faith and the teaching of the professors at that school. He further warned me that I would never be useful as a minister unless I embraced the truth, meaning the truth as he believed it. I was quite willing to believe that I had found the truth in the scriptures. And I told him so. So we had many lengthy discussions that greatly discouraged me, and several times I was on the point of giving up the study for the ministry altogether. However, there was one member of the church to whom I opened my mind freely on this subject. He was an elder. He was a very godly, praying man. He'd been educated in Princeton and held pretty strongly to the doctrines of Calvinism. Nevertheless, as we had frequent and long conversations, he became satisfied that I was right. And he would call on me frequently to have long sessions of prayer with me that lasted well into the night, to strengthen me in my studies and my discussions with Mr. Gale. He also helped me to decide more and more firmly that come whatever... I was going to preach the gospel. Now, why am I sharing this with you in Passion Week? Well, I'm, I'm sharing this with you to say, you don't have to agree with me. You may not agree with everything that I've taught. You don't have to agree with me. You have to deal with Jesus. And I'm not going to believe all that I was taught in seminary. In fact, I've had to throw out most of what I was taught. It was not biblically correct. And interesting, as I was working on my Masters of Divinity, never once during those years of intense schooling did any professor ever suggest to me that I should simply read the Scriptures and trust what I found there. Instead, they taught me their denominational truth, they claim they had the truth. I'm real shy of a man or woman who claims they have the truth, but it's obvious they don't have Jesus. To me, Jesus is the truth. To me, Jesus is the way. To me, Jesus is everything. So, you're welcome to disagree with me as long as we can come together to the throne of Jesus and be washed in the blood.
and be filled with the Spirit. There was no conflict in spite of many trying to stir it up between George Whitfield and Charles Wesley. These were two brothers who had great love and compassion in their hearts. They disagreed on Calvinism, but they had one agreement, and that was that Jesus Christ was Lord and Savior, and that he would remove sin from every man's heart, and that if sin was not removed, it's because they were not saved. Now, they understood differently the process for getting there, That didn't matter. What mattered was they got there. And they loved each other. And they made an agreement together. We will not divide. We will not separate one from another. As long as we both insist that men must leave their sin by the power of the blood. And that they must walk holy lives. Washed and clean. So, please, I don't come with any pride demanding that you agree with me. I come saying, would you agree with Jesus? Would you enter into his heart and his love and his forgiveness and his compassion, his mercy? Will you be washed and made clean? Will you pray for the Holy Spirit? <laughs> it continues one afternoon, Mr. Gale and I had been conversing for a long time on the subject of the atonement, and the hour arrived for us to attend a Bible study. We continued our conversation on the subject while other people continued to arrive, and people would sit down and they listened with greatest attention to what we were saying. And when we proposed to stop and begin our meeting, they earnestly begged us to proceed with our discussion and let that be our meeting. And so we did so and spent the whole evening that way, very much to the satisfaction and edification of those present. After many such discussions with Mr. Gale and pursuing my theological studies, the presbytery was finally called together at Adams to examine me, and if they could, agree to do so to license me to preach the gospel this was in march of 1824 i expected a severe struggle with them in my examination but they were very cautious of getting into any controversy with me because of the blessing that had evidently attended my conversions and my teachings in the prayer meetings and the Bible studies and the lectures that I'd given. In the course of my examination, they avoided asking any questions that would naturally bring my views into collision, into collision, collusion, I'm sorry, collision with theirs. Unexpectedly, they asked me if I received the confession of faith of the Presbyterian Church. This large work containing the catechism and confession had not been part of my studies. I replied that I received it for the substance of doctrine so far as I understood it, but I spoke in a way that plainly implied that I did not know much about what was in that confession. However, I answered honestly as I understood it at the time, They heard the trial sermon, 
They went through all of the ordinary details of such an examination, and they voted unanimously to license me to preach. A large congregation was assembled to hear my my examination sermon. At this meeting of the presbytery, I first saw Reverend Daniel Nash, a member of the presbytery who was generally known as Father Nash. I got in a little late and saw a man standing in the pulpit speaking to the people. I noticed that he looked at me as I came in and was looking at others as they walked up the aisle. As soon as I reached my seat and listened, I observed that he was praying. I was surprised to see him looking all over the church as if he were talking to the people while, in fact, he was praying to God. didn't sound much like prayer. And the fact is, he was, at that time, very cold and very backslidden. Now, just a note, Father Nash was the one that was radically converted and filled with the Holy Spirit And he became the prayer intercessor for Charles Finney. Charles Finney could not go into a village and preach and have revival happen if Father Nash was not on the job praying. I need some of you to be Father Nash for me. I need you to be praying for me. I've done everything I can in this broadcast to cause revival, and I confess I can't do it. It's going to have to be by the power of the Spirit. That's why I'm asking you today to pray at sunrise, at noon, and at sunset for one week for revival in Washington, D.C. Again, If you've just joined us, would you call 877-534-0780 and just say yes. Yes, I'll pray and give them your name. And I'm going to give those names to the congregation on Sunday. And we're going to pray for you. That's 877-534-0780. Well, the Sunday after I was licensed, I preached for Mr. Gale. And when I came down from the platform, he said to me, Mr. Finney, I will be very much ashamed to have it known wherever you go that you studied theology with me. This was so much like him that I made little or no reply to it. I just held my head down, felt discouraged, and went my way. Now, afterward... He viewed this subject very differently and told me that he blessed the Lord that in all of our discussions he had not influenced me to change my views in the least. He very frankly later confessed his error in the matter in which he had dealt with me and said that I would I would have been ruined as a minister if I had listened to him. The fact is, Mr. Gale's education for the ministry had been entirely defective. He had imbibed a set of opinions, both theological and practical, and they were a straitjacket to him. He could accomplish very little or nothing if he carried out his own principles. 
I had the use of his library and searched it thoroughly for all the questions of theology that came up for examination. But the more I examined his books, the more dissatisfied I became. Well, I want to share one other part with you. Do I have time? Boy, it's going to be tight. I'm going to try to just share. How much time do I have, Mr. Producer? Six minutes. Six minutes? No, there's not time for me to share this with you. So I'm going to save it, and I'll come back on Monday, and I'll share it with you next Monday. Uh, Tomorrow will be an encore broadcast. But Sunday, I'll be live at the National Prayer Chapel. By the grace of God, I'd like to invite you to come. Let me tell you where we're located. Come to Woodbridge, Virginia. That's just south on 95. It's literally... 11 minutes drive time from the Capitol Beltway to Woodbridge. We meet at the All Saints Anglican Church. They're a wonderful family church that have been incredibly kind to us. They're located at 14851 Gideon Drive, Woodbridge, Virginia. 22192. We're located literally right beside that Hilton Chapel. So it's All Saints Anglican Church, 14851 Gideon Drive, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22192. Please come and surprise me. I would love to meet you. You're welcome to come. Drive around to the back side of the of the church building. It's a large white facility. Drive around to the back side and ground level you'll see two double glass doors and a large white sign that says lower lobby. Come into that lower lobby and the worship center will be immediately on your left hand side for the National Prayer Chapel. We begin our worship service with prayer. We form a large circle, and everyone is welcome to come and pray. You're welcome to come and pray. We start at 12 noon. At 12.30, we begin with what we call praise and worship. It's not a band. It's opening the mic and inviting people to come and lead a song, read a scripture, share a testimony, or confess sin and ask for prayer. You're welcome to come. I also would like to invite you to go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, nationalprayerchapel.com. There you'll find podcasts and videos. We're in the process now of completely building a new webpage. It's almost finished. It should go up maybe even yet today. I urge you to go and look for it. We're also on Twitter. If you are a Twitter fan, and if you're not, sign up. Come and follow us. 
You'll find videos, you'll find special music, you'll find all kinds of interesting things as people post their experiences and and what Jesus is saying to them on Twitter on our account. So please come and sign up. Now I also would like to invite you, if the Lord prompts you, this is not listener-sponsored radio, this is Jesus-sponsored radio. We don't do sales. We don't sell you books and tapes and magazines and say, please give. Two minutes. We ask for an offering, tithes and offerings. I believe that the work of God should be supported by the people that are ministered to. If this broadcast ministers to you, then I ask, please, would you send your offering, your tithe, to the National Prayer Chapel Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You're welcome to make your check out to the National Prayer Chapel. Just put a note for Pilgrim's Progress. And I want to thank all of you who have walked with me who have shown such kindness who have responded so faithfully who've given so sacrificially thank you god bless you my brother my sister i love you dearly i pray for you daily pray with me this week one week sunrise noon sunset Pray for the pouring out of the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm Pastor Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon.